And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Usable, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This is the word of the Lord. continue our conversations through and questions through the book of Mark. And the question that we have today is, who is Jesus? The question that we come upon is, who is Jesus? Now, John Dixon, I don't know if you know him, he's a, a man here in Australia that started the Center for Public Christianity. And he is a professor of Jesus at the University of Sydney. And what he particularly focuses on is the historic Jesus. And so what he would tell you is there are hundreds of studies out there, millions of things that have been written, and tons of books that are being published, even this year, that really go to the heart of, was this man that we talk about as Jesus, is he actually just some mythical figure, or is he part of history, living, breathing flesh? And John would say, yes, indeed he is. And many actually atheist and agnostic professors and researchers have come to the conclusion that we cannot discount that there was a man named Jesus who lived at a time that aligns with what the Gospels tell us about who Jesus is. And so there's a historical Jesus. But that's not the only way we think about Jesus, is it? There was a band when I was growing up named Depeche Mode, and they let me know that I could have my own personal Jesus. It's a great song. You should YouTube it and look it up. Completely wrong theology. But that Jesus could be personal to me. Hunt for the Wilder People, the great movie about New Zealand, reminds us that Jesus is tricky. We all have an image of Jesus in our mind. We all put upon him and portray to him something of who we are. Many of us probably have images of a, a portrait of Jesus, portrait of Jesus, that somehow look awfully like all the other people around us. And then if you happen to go into a home or a church that was filled with people who didn't look anything like you, very likely they might have a portrait of Jesus that looked like them. And at sometimes we would go, oh, maybe that's not my Jesus. And that's sort of where we get into trouble. 
is we have this identity of who Christ is, and oftentimes it is based on our own understanding and our own reflections. It's as if we look in a mirror and assume that we could see Jesus there. I've only bought one Christian t-shirt in my whole entire life. I'm not a big fan of of those kind of Christian t-shirts. And I bought it because it was from a cool group of people who were sort of anarchist. Uh, They were called the Jesus People, and they uh, were in the United States, based in Chicago, Illinois. They ran a a big, huge concert called Cornerstone Festival. Uh, And like all sorts of really bands that were Christian, but really maybe weren't Christian, but were Christian, would show up there, and it was really cool. And so I bought this shirt, and it was very dark and very anarchist in its thing, and had all these sort of pictures of Jesus on it that looked like he was really mean and angry. And it said, Lord, liar, or lunatic. It was like my favorite shirt. And like I would wear it as if that was a way for me to witness to people around me. Like, hey, you got to choose, Lord, liar, or lunatic, right? It's up to you to decide who this is. That's actually what this passage is about. It's really interesting that what's going on here is there are those that are around Jesus as he continues to proclaim that the kingdom is present, that the kingdom is here, that the gospel has invaded, that something has changed in the world, that God is on the scene. People begin to try and wrap their minds around, who is this guy that keeps saying these things? What is he talking about and what is happening? And to understand kind of how we get to the place where we read today, we need to look just a little bit above and find the setup. Because there's a setup that takes place. So if you have your device or you have a Bible, go ahead and look at the beginning of chapter 3. And it lets us know this. Again, it said, he entered the synagogue and the man was there with a withered hand. Catch this. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. There's a setup here. I want you to catch. When the people who are in power begin to recognize that there is something that is coming against their power, they're going to figure out how to minimize that. Now that is both Uh, on a macro level, on a giant level, that people in power don't want their power taken away. Listen to me, but it's also on an individual level. Because when we encounter Jesus, the power that we possess in and of ourselves, the thing that we hold most dear, has to start diminishing. And so there's a setup. And that's what takes place here. These men who are in charge find a man with a withered hand. And somehow they coax him into going and finding Jesus. At least that's the way I read it. We might be putting a little bit of Lee Hinkle cynicism on there, and I need to be honest with you in that, because it doesn't say they went and found this man. But what we know is either they found him or they saw him walking along with a withered hand and saw that he was heading towards Jesus. And they didn't stop him. As a matter of fact, it says they waited and watched to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. See, their power structure set up the Sabbath in a way that said, you can't do those things. And if Jesus did those things, that meant they could attack him. They could accuse him. And he saw him. Listen, and Jesus said to that man with the withered hand, come here. And then he just looked at them. 
Look, the man's not even saying anything to Jesus. And he looks at those who are setting Jesus up and he says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. What we recognize here is that when power structures come in contact with the power of the Almighty God, they are silenced. They can't speak against it. And he looked at them, around at them with anger, it says. Grieved. So anger at what has happened in the world, not at them, but anger at what's happened in the world, and grieved at their hardness of heart. See, they couldn't even respond. Yes, heal him, Jesus. Yes, make him whole, Jesus. Yes, it's better to preserve life than to bring death on the Sabbath. Go away with the ways that we hold on to these laws. Go ahead and heal him. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand, and he did. It tells us that the Pharisees immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy Jesus. But this is what happens. Crowds begin to follow him. They begin to gather around him, so much so that he's almost crushed, that he says, get a boat so I can sneak out so I don't get crushed. And then he sends out his 12, he appoints them, and he calls them by name. And then we get to the passage where we're at, where we see Folks looking at Jesus, trying to figure out what's going on with him. There's two responses that take place initially. The first is his mom and his brothers show up. We know his mom and his brothers show up because we see that after this passage that his mom and brothers are there again. So his family shows up. Now the interesting thing about this, and this is maybe just a little aside, partly because I've had some people bring this up to me, in Jewish culture that Jesus was living in, he obviously is showing himself as the oldest. Because his family is looking at him and thinking, what? He's out of his mind. All these people are around him. They're crazy. He's doing things that are against the law. He's doing things and drawing people to himself. They just think he, he's got to be out of his mind and we've got to go protect him. One, because we want to protect our brother. But two, because we want to protect our good name. Because it's a shame-based culture there. See, if Jesus is doing something wrong, it doesn't just look bad on him, it looks bad on everybody. What Jesus is going to do with that shame-based culture that's a power base is confront it and turn it on its head. But what we see here is that it's Mary and her sons and daughters that come to get Jesus. That means Joseph is dead. And it means Jesus has to be the oldest because if Jesus wasn't the oldest brother, then only the oldest brother would come. But because Mary's present, it lets us know that Jesus was the oldest. That's important for people who say the historical Jesus wasn't the oldest son of Mary and Joseph, born of a virgin. So they come and they say he's out of his mind and they want to grab him. But then we have this little interpose here before later in this passage they come and say uh, people say hey your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to get you and Jesus says something to them we'll get to that then the scribes these men who are supposed to know what goes on they come and say no no he's not crazy he's Satan or he's controlled by Satan one of the things that we recognize 
about power structures, not within, uh, outside of our life, but even within our own heart, is when we see good starting to take place in our life that is changing us. When we see good that is taking place in our life that is transforming us, or transforming systemic issues in our society. What we want to do is we want to discount them. And one of the best ways to discount them is to claim that they are coming from an evil place. When your life, as you encounter Jesus, begins to change, where you are no longer following the patterns of your life the way that you have been living them, when maybe perhaps you are following those patterns of life still, but there's something within you and outside of you that is calling you to live differently. One of the responses that our fleshiness will have and the response of those around us who don't want to see us change will be to say, you're either crazy or that's not that good for you. This is the way it happens now, usually. It's not that they say it's from the devil, but they'll say it's restrictive or it's not who you truly can be. It's saying, doesn't that make you unhappy? Or how could you possibly be fulfilled when you're living a life that seems so compromised into who you really are? You see, because what the world recognizes and what power structures recognize, both internally and externally, is we want ultimate freedom not understanding that it brings bondage to the things that we set up. And so we start to call those things bad or evil. Why would you go to church on Sunday morning and hang out with a bunch of people that maybe aren't even like you? That seems crazy. Or they just want to hold you down and keep you from doing the things you enjoy. Our own hearts say to ourselves, I can't possibly keep moving forward in the direction that I'm moving because I will lose all my friends. And if I lose all my friends, I'll be alone. And being alone is bad. It's evil. I should be with other people. Not recognizing that perhaps God will bring new people into your life as you change the things about you that are attached to people that you need to let go of. And he does. And so we come to this place where we see Jesus called out. He is either crazy or he is, in fact, of Satan. And Jesus responds and he answers them. Logically, first of all, he says, how can Satan fight against Satan? If Satan fights against Satan, then he'll destroy himself. So, listen, in that he's saying two things. One, so, if I am from Satan, guess what? Satan's being destroyed. But if I'm not from Satan, guess what? Satan's being destroyed. <laughs> so whether you're right or whether you're wrong, it really doesn't matter. My way is going to accomplish what I've come to do, and that is to have my kingdom reign. Then he tells another great parable, which I think is beautiful for us. He says there's a man, and he's a strong man. And you can't break into his house and plunder him because he's a very strong man. The only way you can break in and plunder his house is if a stronger man comes in and binds him up, then you can take everything he wants. Now the interesting thing here is Jesus is the burglar. 
in this passage. Because what he's saying is you all look around and you see and think that Satan is in control. And in fact, he is a strong man. But I'm here to tell you that somebody stronger is here. Somebody who can bind him up and go in and take what he has taken. Someone who has the power to release all his captives is present and standing before you right now. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. I am the strongest of the strong men. So listen and hear this today. You might be here and you might feel that you have been captured by the strong man. That there are circumstances in your life, there are decisions that you have made, there are consequences that you continue to have to live in that push you down and hold you in bondage. There's ways of thinking and patterns of life that continue to drag you to a place where you don't see any hope. Jesus says to you today, I am the strong man. I am present. What he's saying there is, I'm Lord. The kingdom has come. It is here. And I've overcome. But I recognize that that only meets the heart of some of you. Because some of us are our own strong men. Some of us think that our lives are better lived while we're in control. That that we've had a pattern in our lives that we've proven to ourselves that it is apparent among all sort of empirical evidence that I know what's best for me. Sure, maybe I get religious at times and I sit back and I wait to see what God's going to do, hoping and praying that He'll get it right. But when He doesn't quite move at the speed that I'd like Him to move, I quickly jump in as fast as I can to take over. Or even perhaps I'm afraid to let Him into my life at all because I cannot possibly lose control again. It maybe springs from a deep scar of hurts and abuse that has happened to you. I can't be out of control because the last time I was out of control, I was hurt. Listen, the strong man is present. He is the mighty God. The one who comes in in his gospel and grace and holds on to us. Now here's the beauty of it, is he says he will bind them up, right? That the strong man comes in and binds them up. Here's the image I want us to see, is that he's not taking him and setting him in a chair and getting duct tape and rope and wrapping him up and blindfolding him and keeping him still. The way that the Father binds us up through Jesus Christ is he grabs hold of us with his big gigantic arms and pulls us into his chest and holds us close to him and says, I am in control. I love you and I have you. And it's at that moment that we can feel the release of being bound up by the one who knows us better than anybody else. Then what happens? His mom and his brothers show up and they say, 
Jesus, we need to get you. Somebody says, Jesus, your family's here. And he says to them, who are my mother and father? And who are my brothers and sisters? It's not those people out there. It's whoever does the will of the Father. See, he's taking that shame-based culture, that thing that would cause us to not want to move forward following after him. And he says, look, our truest family, our truest sense of who we are is found in him and him alone. C.S. Lewis, you know that t-shirt that I had is from a quote from C.S. Lewis, actually, who wrote Mere Christianity. I want to read you what that quote says. It says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we mustn't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be a devil from hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall, fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with the patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. So who is Jesus? Jesus says, I'm Lord. Jesus says, I'm the strong man. And so my invitation to you is this, that if you are here and you've not been bound up by the strong man, let him bound you up. Let him grab hold of you with his arms and pull you in and love you as if you've never been loved before and give you grace and mercy and strength in his spirit to live a life more and better than you've ever dreamed. And if you are here and you've said you are Lord of my life, I don't see you as a lunatic. I don't see you as a liar. Respond to him the same way. Climb up in his lap and let him bind you up. Because as he binds you up, you lose control. And in losing control, you gain everything. Let me pray for us. Father God, let these words be yours. Let them pour over us as we know the answer to the question who you are as you are Lord. And let these words be your words, and if they're not your words, let them burn up and fly away. But if they are, let them take root in our heart and bring you glory and honor forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand and respond by singing.